So this morning, I've, I have the privilege of opening God's Word with you. So if you would open your Bibles to, uh, to James chapter 2, we'll be in verses 14 to 26. And this is not a controversial passage at all. There's been no confusion in reading this passage whatsoever. That is sarcasm. And, uh, and so here's, here's how I would open it. I'd like us to read the text in, in just a second. But if I were to ask you the question, you don't have to answer, but if I were to ask you the question, are you saved by your works? Uh, I'd probably, I would hope, uh, we would all say, no, of course not. We're not saved by our works. And if I asked you, how about a little bit of your works? I hope you would say, no, not even a little bit. Well, I was, I asked this question to, to our junior high group over at Ridley MB. Uh, this past week, and they answered very faithfully. They said with a resounding, like lots of volume, they said, no, we're not saved by our works. And I said, how about a little bit? And they said, no. And then I read them this verse out of James 2.24, and they were a little bit confused. So here's what it says in James 2.24. It says, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. A person is justified by works and not by faith alone. At first glance, you might understand how that was a little bit confusing, in fact, some people in church history actually thought that the book of James should not be in the Bible uh, in large part because of this verse. In fact, uh, the Protestant reformer Martin Luther, he said, and I quote, that James does violence to Scripture. So, I don't think that he's right. I don't think that James should be rejected from the Bible or anything like that. And I don't think, uh, furthermore, that James is saying that we are saved by our works. I think what he wants to talk about in this passage is how important the way we live our lives is when it comes to saying that we have faith in Christ. He's asking the question, I think, what is genuine faith? What is genuine faith? What's it like? So how do I know that? Well, we're going to read the passage and we're going to look at context, that, that good word context, trying to find out what one verse means by looking at all the verses around it. So, so if you would read with me here in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26 says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, wasn't also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So that is God's word. So would you just bow in prayer with me as we as we open scripture? Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this beautiful day. And uh, as we think of just the, the challenges of, of COVID-19, we do thank you that we can. We can still meet. We can still be outside in your beautiful creation and worship you. And so we thank you for that gift, and we ask your blessing upon this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So what I think we're going to see in this passage is, is, is four things divided into two. That's too much math already. I'm going to stop there. 
But we're going to see two negative examples of faith, two negative examples of faith, and then two positive examples of faith as James is asking the question, what is genuine faith? What is it really like? And so if you look with me at verse 14, chapter 2, verse 14, where he, he asks, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have works, can that faith save him? I think this is the big question. This is going to help us know what in the world James is talking about. Uh, why is he causing so much trouble with this? James has a question, and he wants it answered. And the first, and this question has two parts. I think it's one question, two parts. The first part is, what good is it if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? And this is huge. He didn't say, if you notice, someone who has faith. He said, someone who says he has faith. In other words, just because you say you have faith in, in James's mind doesn't automatically mean you actually have it. Just because you say you're a Christian doesn't automatically make you one. The second part of this question is he says, can that faith save him? I don't know if you have the capability, but if you can highlight or, or circle that word, I would encourage you to do that. The word that, can that faith save? The kind of faith that doesn't have any works. It's as if James is, is looking out and he sees faith A, and then he sees faith B, and he's pointing at one of them. He's, he's pointing not at faith B, he's saying, can faith A, can that faith save you? It's as if he's doing that. So you say you're a Christian, your life doesn't look any different from the rest of the world. Is that representative of the kind of faith that saves? So this sets the table for us. James wants to know what genuine faith is, what kind of faith do you have to have in order to be saved. So he's talking about, I think, two different kinds of faith. One of them will save you. One of them will not. So in verses 15 to 16, we get an illustration. This is going to be the first negative example of faith. So this is verses 15 and 16, where he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So that's his illustration, his first negative example. This is not something you want to do. And so maybe in our language, it's basically this. If you're walking into church and you have this large, you know, me and Ed's pizza. I like to put jalapenos on mine, but I'm, you know, strange like that, I guess. But you walk into church and you have this large me and Ed's pizza and you walk by this person that you know uh, it doesn't have a lot of money. In fact, you know that they didn't, couldn't afford to have dinner the previous night, certainly didn't have breakfast, and you go up to them and you say, gee, I, I'm really sorry for what you're going through. Just know that I'm praying for you, know that I'm thinking about you, and then you keep on walking with your pizza in hand. Uh, you've got a problem in that case, right? That's not a good thing. I, I think here James's point is to say that just just saying that you hope they feel better is about as useless as claiming to have faith in Christ without actually doing what he tells you. You have the ability to feed them. You didn't do it. So just saying something at that point is pretty meaningless if it, doesn't accompany, if it isn't accompanied by action. So looking at verse 17 now, he says his conclusion here, so also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Now I just said it's pretty useless if you were to walk by that person with your me and Eds and just tell them that they, you hope they feel better. But James doesn't use that word. He doesn't say it's useless. He actually calls it dead. He says this is dead faith. So, in other words, if your quote-unquote faith doesn't produce an actual difference in your life, then your faith, according to James, isn't just struggling, isn't just doing poorly or on life support. He says it's dead. It's not real. It's not genuine faith. This kind of faith he says, is dead. 
That's James's point, is, is that a dead faith won't save you on the day of judgment. So what will save? He points again at faith A and says, not this faith. That's not the kind of faith that saves. So he keeps going in verse 18. And now he's going to bring in an imaginary person. When I was a kid, I had imaginary friends. Apparently, James uh, still has imaginary friends. But, but this is a person who's going to come in to basically say, yeah, James, that's great. But what about this? He's going to bring in a potential objection. So verse 18, he says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have works. And then he responds, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So the argument is basically saying you have, one person might have faith, another person might have works. So in other words, some Christians are, are fine if they've just got faith. Other Christians are fine if they've just got works. Like, you can do your thing, I'll do my thing, that sort of idea. One person, you know, might have some different gifts. One person uh, knows the Lord and reads his word, and, and that's great. Another person doesn't do those things. Another person, you know, does things because of their faith. They stack chairs and, and serve meals for the church, but they don't necessarily know God or anything about him. So you're saying you can have one person like that over there and another person like this over here. James immediately sort of uh, trashes this argument. He even sort of ins insults the, the imaginary guy in verse 20. He calls him a, a foolish person. But his response is to say that you can't separate what you believe about God and what you do for God. You can't have one person that has faith and one person that has works. Because this is how he puts it. Show me your faith apart from your works. Like, go ahead and try to do that. And I will show you my faith by my works. Again, if you have the ability, you might circle or highlight in some way that word by, that James is going to show you his faith by his works. It's not one or the other. We don't get to choose. He says they're integrally connected. You can't, you can't separate them. You can't separate what you believe about God from what you do for God. So even that, I think, tells us what he's after. What is genuine faith really like? Like, how do I know I'm, I'm really a Christian? I, I say I am, but how do I, how do I know? And, and James would say one way is that you show your faith by your works. So you don't get faith by working, but you show that you really have faith all by itself, by your lifestyle, the way that you live. And, and this is the language of evidence. Uh, one of the most powerful questions I've, I've ever been asked, and, and perhaps you've heard this question before, is if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And that, that really strikes me. That's difficult for me to think about. It's convicting, I think. And I think that's what James is talking about. He's basically saying true, genuine faith will show itself in a changed life. That's faith B over here. But faith A, dead faith, fake faith, it won't. It won't result in a changed life. So verse 19. Now he gives another example. This is the second negative example of faith. He says, verse 19, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So he seemed, he starts out, I think he gives them a pat on the back because they have good theology. They believe that God is one. And, and this is actually coming from Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is what the Jews would have called the Shema that they believe that God is one. This is the belief that there's only one God. He has no rivals. We just sang that. It's a great, amazing truth. It's really important. In fact, Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy 6 when he was asked what the greatest commandment was. 
So this is really important. James gives them one of the most important things that Christians can believe, but then he turns it around by saying that even demons believe that stuff. And so the point is that if demons have great theology and we know they're not going to be with us in heaven, it it can't be enough to just know the right things, to just know theological facts or truths. So when James is talking about faith, can that faith save you? I think he's talking really about demon belief, mental beliefs, theological truths that you agree with. But that's not enough. I, I mean, is that all that faith Is that all that faith is? Just getting a list of doctrines and signing your name at the bottom of it? A demon could do that, is James's point. And here's where it gets funny, actually. James says that demons have great theology, but he says even they have a response to it. They shudder. So they believe these great truths, but then they even have a response. In some ways, he's saying, man, even even demons might be doing better than us in some ways. Let's be clear for a second. We need to have good theology. We need to know who God is. I mean, for one thing, if demons who, who hate God find it important to get their theology right, then shouldn't we? Those of us who claim to love the Lord, I mean, we should do more than the demons, but we shouldn't do less, certainly. So yes, it is important to have good theology, but the point is that we can't leave it there. It has to go somewhere. It has to do something. Our, our knowledge about God should change the way we live for God. Our knowledge about God should change the way we live for God. So here's where we get into our positive examples of faith. And so here's the first one in verses 20 to 21. James says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son on the altar? So, Now he goes to a different person as if to say, okay, if the demon thing didn't convince you that you can't just say you're a Christian without your life actually changing, he says, well, let's look at Abraham. And why Abraham? I mean, think about it. Why would he choose of all the people in the Bible? Why would he go with Abraham? And I think it's because the Apostle Paul in Romans 4.11 calls Abraham the father of all who believe. He's the father of faith. So, I mean, Abraham really is the gold standard when it comes to having faith in in God, faith in Christ. Specifically, though, we go back to the time when Abraham had to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. And I mean, think about that. Does that not take immense faith to to carry out that act of obedience? I think we would say, yes, it does. But, But even the way that we even frame that question, the way we would say that, if Abraham didn't have faith, would he have sacrificed his son? And I think we would say, no, he wouldn't have. But that's an important thing because... We know that in order for Abraham's faith to be genuine, that means he would have to demonstrate that faith. We just instinctively understand that Abraham's faith, if it's real, that means he'll be able to sacrifice his son Isaac. His faith, if it's real, will lead to action. We understand his faith wasn't real if it didn't lead to action. For me, the way that I, the thing that helps me understand this is if I, you know, if I take off, especially if I take off my glasses, if I were holding a real genuine seed in my, in my right hand and I was holding a tiny little pebble in my left hand and they're exactly the same size and shape, especially if I take off my glasses, I cannot tell the difference a lot of times. But if I were to, to go into, into the grass or something and, or into the dirt and I would bury both of these, bury the seed in one plot and bury this tiny rock in the other, how do I know which one is genuine? If I, if I at this time can't tell the difference, how would I know which one was genuine? Well, I'd have to wait a little while and I'd have to see which one grows. 
And the, the fact is, if it, if it was a nice tr- tree and it was a seed and I planted it and then it grew, the fact that it grew didn't make it, a, didn't make it a tree. It was always a tree, just in seed form. It was always real. It was always genuine from the very beginning. But the only way that you could tell that it was genuine was waiting a while and seeing whether or not it grew. But that little rock, it'll never become a tree because it was never, the, it was never a genuine seed. It was fake from the beginning. And I think that's what James is saying about Abraham. We had to, we had to kind of wait and see with him. And so that's where in verses, verses 22 and 23, it says, you see that faith was active along with his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says, or I should say, the faith was active along with his works, end of verse 22, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. So that's where I think James now says Abraham's faith was completed by his works in the same way that that seed's growth was completed by it becoming a tree. It was always a seed, but now you can see this change. And I think it's interesting, too, that here in this verse, it says that Abraham believed God. And that's actually the same language that James used about the demons. The demons also believe. So the demons believe and Abraham believed. And yet they believe in different ways. They have different kinds of faith. Abraham had a genuine, real faith because his faith resulted in his life changing. It resulted in action. I think, too, it's cool that in the story about Isaac, when Abraham really does go through with sacrificing his son, even though God will ultimately stop him from doing it, what God says to Abraham afterward in Genesis twenty-two twelve, it's really important. He says to Abraham, Now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your only son from me. Now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham had already feared God. In fact, James has quoted earlier here from Genesis 15, that moment when when Abraham's faith became real and genuine. But it wasn't until Genesis 22 that his faith was demonstrated. And God could say, now I know that you fear me. Abraham already feared God from Genesis 15, but he hadn't proved it yet. He hadn't shown his faith, we might say, by his works. It was genuine before he went to sacrifice Isaac, but Abraham showed that it was genuine once he was willing to go through with it. So now looking at verse 24, I think we have evidence looking at all this context to know what James has in mind when he says we're justified by works and not by faith alone. Is he thinking that we have to earn our salvation? I don't think so. I really don't. He's thinking, I think, of the kind of faith that demons have, knowing about God, but not loving and serving him. That kind of faith, that faith alone, it won't save because it's not real faith. Can that faith save you? James would say, no. So that faith all by itself, no, it can't do anything. That's what he says in verse 22. A person is justified by works, not by faith alone, because it's not a real kind of faith. So this last illustration, the second positive example of faith in verses 25 and 26, tell us that real Genuine faith is also like the kind of faith that Rahab had. So now he talks about another character from the Old Testament. He says in verse 25, In the same way, wasn't also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So if you remember the story, uh, the Israelites are about to enter Canaan. They send a few spies to see what the land is like. And Rahab eventually, long story short, protects them from those who are trying to to capture them. She kept these Israelite spies safe from people trying to capture them. In Joshua 2.11, Rahab 
it has this moment where Rahab professes faith in God. And so James is saying her faith in God is what led her to help the people of God. Her faith was genuine because it led to action. Now, I think it's interesting that he chose Rahab of all people. Why, why Abraham and then Rahab? Two very different and distinct kinds of people, isn't it? Well, I think one thing, it shows that everyone from the father of the Jews, Abraham, everyone from Abraham to even the prostitute Rahab is included in the promise of faith. Last week, I think you were talking about favoritism. Well, this is a, an amazing passage for seeing that really in action. Everyone from Abraham to Rahab is included in faith. Everyone and everyone in between. I think it also shows us that every kind of Christian, no matter your status, should have a living and working faith. And so that's what James says. You, just like your body can't live without your spirit, so also faith is fake if it doesn't result in action. Bodies that don't have spirits are what fill up cemeteries. Well, we don't want to have spiritual cemeteries either. And so that's what James is saying. Have a living faith. So I'd like to call up the, the worship band at this point. As we're thinking about what, what we can actually learn from this, what can we take home with us today? Well, I think James wants us to check ourselves. Is your faith any better in his language than that of a demon? You know facts about God from church. You've learned all these things. You've accumulated knowledge throughout your lifetime of following the Lord. But honestly, you still live for yourself. You're not actively pursuing Christ. The way you talk is just like the world. The things you watch and listen to are just like the world. The way you conduct business is just like the world. The way you spend your time at home and during the week, if it's not a Sunday, is just like the world. Yes, James would say we're saved by true faith alone, but that faith should never remain alone. It should grow. It should bear fruit, just like that real seed. If it's genuine, it's going to turn into a beautiful tree. The thing about that illustration, though, that I think is helpful is that a seed doesn't become a tree overnight takes a long time. And so we're not talking about this instant perfection. What we're talking about is, is progress. And so, is your faith in Christ, is it making a difference in your life? Do other people see your passion for the Lord and the things of God? Or do you just say that you have faith? As James would say, what good is that? Can that faith save you? And the answer is no. And so that's a warning. That, that kind of faith isn't the faith that saves. But maybe an encouragement is that if if you and, and others who know you can see a difference in your life, they can see that, then that probably means you have been genuinely saved because only the Lord can produce real change in a person's life. Uh, for me, I professed faith as a six-year-old kid, but honestly, I, I'm fairly certain that I wasn't actually saved until, until right out of high school. I, I remember because everything in my life changed. I was a different person. All of a sudden, I wanted to watch sermons and read the Bible and join a church, and I hated all of that before. It was like night and day. I was not my cup of tea. My dad would force me to, to do those things. I didn't like it. But now I wanted to. Where did that come from? I didn't do that. And after a few months, I, I remember my parents just saying to me, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Who are you? And they were just amazed by, by this difference. I didn't, I didn't do that, and I can't claim that or take any credit whatsoever. God changed me. And my changed life was evidence that God really had saved me. I wasn't perfect. In fact, I had a lot, a lot of sin, and I still do. But the point was that you could just tell there was a difference. There was something that wasn't the same. And I think that's what James is wanting to get at. So, in the words of Paul, in, the, in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. And so talk to trusted friends, talk to a pastor, pray. 
pray and ask for God's help to live in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. And perhaps you need to believe the gospel for the first time, that God uh, is perfect and holy, he created us, and yet we rebelled against him and sinned against him, and the punishment for sin is death. And yet God, because of his love, sent his son Jesus Christ to live the life that we failed to live, to die the death we deserve to die on the cross in our place, and to rise from death to give us the gift that we couldn't get any other way, the gift of forgiveness and eternal life, if we would repent of our sin and trust in him. And that's a message maybe some of us need to hear for the first time today. Or maybe it's you need to believe that for the 500th time today. But James would say, is your faith a living faith? Is it a faith that actually affects your life and changes things so that other people notice? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, at some times it, it... encourages us and comforts us and other times your word challenges us and convicts us and so we ask for your grace that you would help us to see if we have a genuine and living faith and that you would uh, enable us to live a life that's worthy of you we 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 understand we're not going to be perfect or sinless and certainly not overnight but that we would make progress that other people would see it that we would want to have a faith that lives a faith that's alive a faith that changes how we live And so would you do that work in us? And if there's anyone here that needs to believe that gospel for the first time, God, would you just work in their heart right now to do that, to repent of their sin and to trust in you? And so we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.